Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. Pray about it. See where you can use that gifting, where the Lord may have you placed. Maybe that's here. Maybe it's not here. Maybe it's somewhere else. It doesn't matter. It needs to be for Jesus and for his glory, for the kingdom of God, period. Don't waste it. Don't waste it. Why? You got one life. That's it. One life. And then hopefully you know Jesus. You're going to go to heaven. You'll spend eternity, new heaven, new earth. I don't know how those gifts and talents translate up there. I don't know. But all I know is this. You get one shot here. Don't waste it. Go for it. You only live once. This popular phrase is true, but you can respond to it in a few different ways. The way the world encourages is to live fast and loose, ignoring fears and inhibitions in order to consume as much of what this world has to offer as possible. The way of God's kingdom is much different. As Pastor James will explain in today's message, as a follower of Christ, you're called to give as much of yourself as possible towards serving Him and others, not wasting one moment on selfish desires. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Genesis chapter 49 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. hasn't had a king since then and it for sure stopped in AD 70 when Rome was like no more no more everything was taken from them law was taken from them they couldn't the Jews couldn't execute Jesus they had to submit to the Romans and, and for them to crucify Jesus everything was being taken away from these guys but it all lines up with even just this these few verses from Genesis chapter 49 where God's like hey listen I know what's going to happen I already know what's going to happen. Thousands of years, at this point in time in Genesis and 49, we're already, we've already covered almost 2,000 years of human history on this planet in Genesis chapter 49. Isn't that amazing? Like that's how much time has passed from Genesis chapter 1 to Genesis chapter 49. You're talking about a, t- a chunk of time. And then not too long after that, you're going to have Jesus showing up. But here's Judah. Judah has made a different, I mean, there's been a change in Judah's life. And now it's being reflected like, listen, you stood, you stepped up, you stepped up. You could have been defined by your past, but you're not, but you're not. See, there's been a change about you. And not only has God, you know, recognized that change, but he's also, he's going to use Judah. And from Judah, you're going to have uh, tremendous individuals who will come from him. Jesus being the lion of the, the tribe of Judah right? The greatest. You don't get better than Jesus. You do not get better than Jesus. You know, below him, for sure, you have a guy named David, King David. Amazing man. Amazing man of God. But here it is. It's setting it all up for Judah. Like, listen, from your line, it's going to be kings and all that good stuff until, until Shiloh comes or until peace comes, or you could even say until the Prince of Peace shows up. Verse, uh, the rest of verse 10 there, and to him shall be the obedience of the people binding his donkey to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He washed his garments in wine, his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine, his teeth whiter than milk. Good just descriptions of this guy, but this is also descriptions of Jesus himself. And you can read through the book of Isaiah and you'll see a lot of these things repeated concerning the Messiah, who is Jesus. 
It's fascinating that when Jesus did show up on the scene and, and some of the rule and the authority was taken away from the Jews, a lot of the guys who are in the, the Jewish leaders of that day, so you have like the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, the governing wise, they were all in the streets crying out and lamenting the fact that their rule and their law had been taken from them and the Messiah had not shown up. And yet Jesus was walking in their city during those days. Totally missed it. Totally missed the fact that here it was prophesied in Genesis chapter 49, not just in Genesis 49, but you can even go back to Genesis chapter 3, but more specifically here in Genesis 49, the very days Jesus was walking around in the city of Jerusalem, these guys were crying out saying, oh man, God got it wrong. We don't have any law anymore. There's no king anymore. We can't establish a king anymore. And the Messiah is not here. And there goes Jesus walking by. Hey, let's kill that guy. Right? Like, this is literally what was going on. He was there, they missed it. He was there, but they missed it. So that's Judah. Judah, man, what a great, what a great turnaround. What a great comeback, right? Like, God is a God of, of comebacks and second chances and all that good stuff. And Judah is just a guy who kind of personifies that, just like I said. Man, he started off like, I don't know how it's going to work out for you, buddy, to where now it's like, you're all right. Man, you're, look, at, look at your legacy. Look at the Lord sees in you. Look at how the Lord's going to use you. It's tremendous. Now we go on to some of the other, um, the other sons uh, from Leah's. Uh, you got Zebulun. Zebulun shall uh, dwell by the haven of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships, uh, and his border shall adjoin Sidon. And that's it. Like, you're going to be up in, the, you know, in this region. You're not really living on the Mediterranean Sea, but he's close to it. Um, I believe it's technically speaking more of like kind of within the Galilee region there, but that's kind of all that's said about them. Just geographically, like, eh, this is where you're going to live. And you'll, you know, you'll be doing some stuff with some, with some uh, ships and stuff, you know, so you're like, well, you know, that's cool. I like the water. Um, so sweet, you know, like for him, if I was Zebulon, I'd be like, did he say anything bad? Oh, sweet. Okay. I'd be looking at my other brothers and be like, yeah, what's up? <laughs> Ray, Reuben, how's it going, buddy? Um, Judah's like, hey, I'm the best, you know, Judah's got the biggest praise of them all. But, uh, you know, if you're Zebulun and this is all that's said of you, it's not really like a bad thing because I'm sure there could be been some dirty laundry aired if need be, but that's all that was said of them. Issachar, the next one, verse 14. Issachar is a strong donkey lying down between two burdens. Uh, he saw that rest was good and that the land was pleasant. He bowed his shoulders to bear a burden and became a band of slaves. Uh, so this is fascinating for Issachar. Uh, here he is, he's likening him to a strong donkey. So, you know, there's strength within Issachar, the ability to work and all that good stuff. However, he's kind of lazy. He's kind of lazy. That just got really loud. <laughs> so, oh, sorry. Uh, it says he lies down between two burdens. Like there's the work. He sees it, lots of potential, lots of opportunity. And he's like, I think I'm going to take a nap. I think I'm going to take a nap, right? And it's like, no. No, if you just apply yourself, like there's so much, there's a harvest that's there. He's like, ah, I'm just going to rest. I'm just going to rest. I'm going to just relax here. Uh, it's, it's good, but it also is like, it's just that thing of like, you see potential in somebody and you're like, you have so much to offer, so much to offer. Just go, just do it. Go for the glory of God. Just go for it. I think I'm going to rest. Well, I understand rest. We all need rest. Sabbath, that's a beautiful concept. Take a day where you don't do anything. Do that. It's good for you. It's healthy. It's great for you. You can't live your entire life that way, though. Not seven-day Sabbath. That's not, you can't do that, right? That's not even biblical. 
That's actually anti-biblical, okay? Um, no, work hard and, and take, take hold of opportunities that present themselves to you and rest when you're supposed to rest. Issachar's like, eh, I could, but I don't think I'm going to do it. It's like, well, why? Why? I don't know. That just drives me nuts. What's funny is one time in, I was part of a, when I was in Bible college, I came back in Amarillo. I was part of like a college ministry thing. I don't know what it was. Um, college kids got together. We'd sing songs and we'd study the Bible. That's what we did. Uh, but the leader of that was, um, one day he was like, hey, you know what? If you, you know, you guys heading off to Bible college, I just want to pray over you guys. That's cool. And we're like, okay, we're never going never gonna to turn that down. And but as he's praying over us, he's like, he's almost like getting a word from the Lord for each and every one of us, um, which was for me at that point in time, I was like, this is kind of weird. Um, but I was like, I'm just going to, that's fine. And he starts praying over me and, and he's like, man, he's like, James, what I see when I'm praying over you is you're like a mule. You're like a donkey. And I'm like, oh, that's, is that good? I mean, because I'm freshly saved and I'm like, I know I'm stubborn. I know my wife's over there. She's behind that pillar over there. She's probably amen and, amen and like crazy. She knows, and there's none more stubborn than I am usually. So uh, he's like, you're like a, but it was like, but you're like carrying burdens, other people's burdens. And, and so a lot of what he prayed actually, like looking back on it, this is like 20 years ago. I look back on that. And I'm like, yeah, that's kind of true. That's kind of true. Uh, but I, I hope I'm never like Issachar, like a strong donkey, but like, eh, I don't really want to. You know, I don't want to. Um, this life's short. This life is short. If you have a talent, if you have a gift and ability to do something for the kingdom of God, by all means, just do it. Pray about it. See where you can use that gifting, where the Lord may have you placed. Maybe that's here. Maybe it's not here. Maybe it's somewhere else. It doesn't matter. It needs to be for Jesus and for his glory, for the kingdom of God, period. Don't waste it. Don't waste it. Why? You got one life. That's it. One life. And then hopefully, you know, Jesus, you're going to go to heaven. You'll spend eternity, new heaven, new earth. I don't know how those gifts and talents translate up there. I don't know. But all I know is this. You get one shot here. Don't waste it. Go for it. Surrender it. Give it back to God and say, all right, you've blessed me with this ability. Help me not to be like Issachar where it's like I have the gifting, but I think I'm just going to lay down. Why? Why? Be used by the Lord for his glory. Last one here. Well, no, that, he was the last one. I'm sorry. I, it's hard to keep these guys straight when you're thinking about how many, I mean, we're talking about four moms, four moms, one dad, okay? Like this is, I thought my family tree was messed up, but you got four moms and one dad, okay? So now we're transitioning to Bilha. This is, this was his concubine, his other one. Here's her son, Dan. Um, so Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent by the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels so that its rider shall fall backward. And that's, he stops there because the next part doesn't apply to Dan at all. But that's like a really weird thing to say about your kid, right? You're like, Dan, you're going to be a judge. Oh, by the way, you're a snake. <laughs> you're a snake. He kind of was. He kind of was. Settling in the northern region of Israel, um, he was going to be the one who was going to play a major part in introducing idolatry into the nation of Israel, thus causing his brothers to stumble, just like a snake, just like a snake. He was, he was going to be a major player when it came to bringing in idolatry into the land of Israel. You never want to be known for that. You don't want to be known for that. You don't want to be the one who like, 
brings in the idol worship into your family, so to speak. You don't want that. You don't, you don't want that. You don't want to be the one who misleads someone. You don't want, Jesus even had, you know, had a lot to say about that, but he says, listen, if anybody shows up and messes with my kids, leads my kids astray, here's the deal. It would be far better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and you to be thrown into the sea. You don't want to mess with God's kids. Don't mess with his kids. Be very cautious with what you allow into your life, but then also what you present to other people. You always be cautious. Dan was just one of those guys where he's like, hey, you know, you know we're going to bring in this idol worship and all this stuff. I mean, just never really turned out to be, to be a good guy. But verse 18, this little break here. And, and by the way, just so you know, uh, you know, structurally, this is a poem that we're reading through, okay? I don't know if you know, starting in verse 2, it really, it's a, it's a poem that is being composed here. Verse 18, it's kind of like the, the selah, like the break, right? The pause. And he says, um, this is Jacob. I have waited for your salvation, O Lord. Kind of a cool, it's, it's weird how it's just dropped in there. But as he's just reflecting on his boys and, and the Lord is just using him to communicate what's going to happen and how the Lord's going to, you know, how each one of their tribes is going to be used and all that stuff. Just right there in the middle, he's like, I, I've waited for your salvation, O Lord. Just a little pause there, and it's just this old man on his deathbed just really just rejoicing, kind of. And then he continues on. Gad, this is a son of Zilpah. Uh, Gad, a troop shall tramp upon him, he shall, but he shall triumph at last. He's like, listen, um, initially you're going to get basically trampled, but you will triumph at last. That could be speaking about the end times. Okay, um, and that's all. Is Gad? There wasn't too much significant about him in that sense. But there you go. Just one little sentence concerning him. Next is Asher, the other son of Zilpah. Uh, he says, "Bread from Asher shall be rich, and he shall yield royal uh, dainties or uh, royal delicacies." Is, is what the ESV says there. Um, this is like the cake boss, right? This is him. Like, this is Duff Goldman. This is, you know, these, these are the baker guys. This is the guy I want to hang out with um, because I love baked goods. Uh, so this guy's like going to be known for his food and his baked goods. It says it right there. Bread from Asher shall be rich. If you've ever been to Israel, if not, go there, buy some bread off the street. You will be amazed at how delicious this stuff is. Incredibly good. Um, if you have like gluten issues, don't go. Don't go, because you will wreck your stomach, and you don't want that, because you know how bad that can get. But, um, but, but this is Asher. He's like, Asher, you know, you're going to be known for your baking skills. And that's it. <laughs> right? Like, that's it. Okay. We're glad you're around, Asher. Keep baking that bread. All right. Moving on. And that's what he does. He moves on to, to Naphtali, um, the other son of, of Bilhah. Naphtali is a deer let loose. He uses beautiful words. He's swift. He's mobile. But he's also poetic. And actually from his tribe would come like probably more so like um, uh, musicians, singers, but also speakers. They're good with words. So Asher's producing the bakers. Naphtali is producing the public speakers and the musicians and all that good stuff. So that's a really cool thing to be said about you. I mean, these two guys, Asher and Naphtali, are like, yeah, sweet. Okay, thanks, Dad, for recognizing that gift. I do like baking bread. You're right. I like that. I think I'll make a living out of doing that. The other guy's like, I do like writing poems. I think I'll make a living out of that. And that's kind of what their tribes would be known for, you know, going on. And that's kind of it. That's kind of it. But here he goes into Joseph. So the, you got really 
two kind of main ones here that we're dealing with. You got Judah, praise, and then you got Joseph, who has been now recognized as like the heir, so to speak. Firstborn kind of a deal. The other thing, I didn't mention this last week, but um, when, you're talk, when the Bible's talking about firstborn, you need to understand a lot of times that's speaking of preeminence. What that means is this, because Jesus is called the firstborn of all creation. doesn't mean he was literally birthed before anybody else. He always has been, always was, with God, right? Always was. So God didn't hook up with some lady or something and then had Jesus. That's not how that works, okay? Uh, but it talks about being firstborn as preeminence, meaning greater than everybody else, okay? More significant in that sense. Don't be slighted by that because Jesus is better than you, all right? So don't be offended by that. You want that to be the case. I desperately want that to be the case, and it is true. He is pre- it's a preeminence type thing. So with last week, we were talking about Ephraim and Manasseh. Ephraim was the younger son, but he was seen as the older son. It was a preeminence type thing, okay? Just wanted to clarify that. Verse 22 of this chapter, Joseph. Joseph is a fruitful bow, a fruitful bow by a spring. His branches run over the wall. Uh, so here he's recognizing the fact that Joseph, is, his whole life has been fruitful. God has been with this young man. At this point in time, he's in his 50s, but he has been with this young man all throughout his entire life, even when he was sold as a slave by his brothers down into Egypt, a place where he didn't know anybody, didn't speak the language, didn't understand the culture. He had to start from scratch, living in a whole new land. He was fruitful because God was with him the entire step of the way, even in the dungeons, even in the prison and all that, and then then ruling, second in command uh, over all of Egypt. God was with him. And because of that, he was fruitful. It was like that John chapter 15 thing where Joseph was abiding in the vine, right? And then he was bearing much fruit because he was abiding in one sense in the Lord. And, and it, it just, again, a good practical lesson for us. Abide in Christ and allow him to, what? Produce fruit through you. This also would speak of Psalm chapter 1, the person being uh, planted by a tree, being planted by a river. Its roots run deep and it bears much fruit, okay? So this is kind of what's being said of Joseph. Jacob is recognizing that his son, Joseph, man, the Lord has been with him and the Lord has been blessing him and using him all the way. All the way. Verse 23. The archers have bitterly grieved him, shot at him, and hated him. But his bow remained in strength. And the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. Um, This is a really good point for us. Because we may look at this and we may be thinking like, well, what does that even mean? Well, all throughout Joseph's life, the archers had been taking shots at him, his own brothers, all his life. Was he a spoiled kid? Probably. He was the favorite kid. So he probably was spoiled. Did he act like a spoiled kid? Probably. Okay, he's not a perfect kid. He's not perfect. He's not sinless or anything like that. But his brothers hated him, hated him, and probably took shots at him whenever they could, even so much so that they would sell their brother. Well, they first thought about, let's just murder this guy. Well, no, let's not murder him. Let's at least make some money off of him and sell him as a slave. Constantly, people were taking shots at him, taking shots at him. Here's here's the the difference maker for Joseph. And this this has to be true of you and I, because people are going to take shots at you all throughout your life. You can't control it. 
all throughout your life, people will take shots at you. Now, that's not going to happen every single day, but you probably experienced that, maybe from people that were near and dear to you. As soon as you turn your back, it's like, boom, right in the back. Joseph, it says, but his bow remained in strength, and the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. So just to get the picture here, it's like the arrows are being shot at Jacob or at Joseph, and Joseph's got his bow, and he's got it pulled. And he could fire that thing if he wanted to. But God's hand is on his hand, holding that string. Yeah, the bow is in strength, but God's hand is on this hand, not allowing him to what? To get revenge. To get revenge. Would he have been justified in doing it? We couldn't have blamed him. You couldn't have blamed him. His own brother sold him as a slave. He had every right, and he had multiple opportunities to release the bow of revenge. I'll show you. Boom. He could have done it, but he never did it. He never did it. He didn't do it. Was it through his own strength? No. No. The key is right there. By the hands, his hands, his, the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. You, we need to know this. You've got to learn this because there's a lot of nonsense, especially happening in the church today. Most of the arrows being shot are happening within the churches, and it's ridiculous. It's just stupid. It is absolutely just mind-blowing what we'll do to each other within the church. Ridiculous. Okay? Brothers and sisters, we're supposed to be, yet we treat each other like enemies. All the arrows are being, we have an enemy. Ephesians chapter 6, he's firing arrows at us. On the daily, Paul talked about that. He says, you better suit up. Spiritual armor, your, your enemies, it's not flesh and blood. You might think it is. You might think it is, but that's not true. Your enemy, it's a spiritual warfare. And there are, there are enough arrows coming at believers from him. Stop shooting them at each other. That's nonsense. It is nonsense. And if, man, if you've been in the church world for any certain amount of time, you've felt it. You've experienced it. We have friends going through it right now. And it is the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. What, what are we doing? I'm sorry, but I got this enemy, and his name is Satan, and he's firing a lot of shots at me. The last thing we need to be doing is firing arrows within these walls, so to speak, at each other. What is going on? It's crazy. You, we need to be more like Joseph. Do you have the right to pull back the bow? Yeah. Do you have a defense there? Did they wrong you? Probably. Probably. Do you have the right to let go of that arrow? No, you do not. I don't care how right you are. You do not have the right to let go of that arrow. You don't. We really need to be, and, and Joseph really here, his whole life just illustrated this thing of control. Not self-control. Yes, self-control is in the fruit of the Spirit, and that's what I'm talking about. Not like will, or like I'm just going to will this thing to happen. Not that, because that doesn't even work. I mean, that can last for a certain amount of time, but then you know that that thing is out the window, right? After a, certain, after a while, everybody's will will essentially collapse. You need something outside of yourself. You need something bigger and stronger than you, and that would be the Holy Spirit. The 
historical stories we've been reading about in the book of Genesis are filled with lessons that we just can't ignore. Adam and Eve chose to disobey, and the consequences meant separation from God for all of mankind. Sin entered the world and grew so great that God had to step in. Noah and his family were spared because of their devotion to the Creator, and Abraham's nephew was saved for similar reasons. God does look after those who call Him Lord and who follow Him with all that they are. God's compassion goes even beyond this. He sent His only Son to earth to die in our place, removing the punishment for all of our evil deeds. Jesus' life provided a way for us to reconnect with our Creator and begin to live a new life covered in grace. All we need to do is realize just how sinful we are and how we're unable to do enough to warrant the acceptance of our perfect Creator. We then need to accept that Jesus, who is God's Son, lived a perfect life and then took our sins to the grave. He defeated death three days later. Because of this, He's offering us grace and forgiveness for all of our sins. All we need to do is say yes. We pray that you choose to say yes today. We'd like to encourage you right away to get involved in a local church. And if you're in the Galveston area, we'd love to have you join us. Calvary Galveston meets Sundays at 10 a.m. And you can find directions online at breadforthebroken.com. With that, our time with you has come to an end today. Join us again on Bread for the Broken, where you'll find hope and new life in Jesus. Let me paint the picture of you, man, who I love and give it.